Welcome to Beyond Cancer, a podcast from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute about some of the challenges that survivors face after being diagnosed. I'm Michael Buller, and today we're talking about coping through creativity. That's one of my favorite topics as a writer, and we're going to talk today with Abby Morgan and Tara Schumann. I'm so excited to have you guys here. We've talked a little bit about using uh, your creative expression as a way to cope with your diagnosis, and I want to get into that, but first I just want to step back a little bit and talk a little bit about when you were diagnosed and your sort of diagnosis story and how you got to where you are today. Uh, Abby, maybe you could lead it off. Sure. I was diagnosed with synovial sarcoma in May, June of 2013. I had a tumor in my knee, which I noticed because I felt it there and I had pain. and. I went in to get it checked out and then they sent me directly over to Dana-Farber and it had spread to my lungs. So since then I immediately did radiation on my knee, I did chemo, infusion, and then had surgery on my knee to remove the tumor there. I've had surgery on both lungs to remove tumors there. I'm actually having surgery next week to remove one final tumor. I had eight total rounds of chemo and then I've been on a pill, chemo pill since then and as sort of a maintenance thing which has worked exceedingly well for me like more so than they've ever really seen in other patients which is awesome there hasn't been any new growth the one spot I'm having taken out next week has just been one we've been watching for a while so since then though I've been back to work I took a year off of teaching to do all this treatment, and I've been back to work part-time for the last two years, this year and last year. I'm an elementary school art teacher. <laughs> Which makes you um, uniquely qualified to have this conversation. Yeah, we'll I talk, guess so. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about your art uh, in a minute. I just want to ask Tara the same question. I was diagnosed with triple positive breast cancer August of 2012, and I was 32 years old with no family history or anything. After that, I underwent a bilateral mastectomy, followed by chemotherapy and biotherapy um, with a, an amazing new drug called Herceptin. And I did that for a year of infusions. And now I'm on a hormonal therapy, which is just a pill every day. Um, so yeah, I've been doing really well. Thank you. That's awesome. And Tara, you and I sort of came to know each other as I was blogging and you were blogging and we were we were crossing paths in the blogosphere, so to speak. And so I want to ask a little bit about that and about how you got into the blogging and whether you had written before that was sort of your first foray into public writing. Yeah, it was definitely my first foray into public writing, although I didn't start it with that intent at all. When I was first diagnosed, I immediately saw the uh, the pressure, I guess I would say, that was put on my family to keep other family and friends on top of the news of kind of what was coming. And we were all very new to any sort of um, thing like this. Most people probably are. And I just didn't want them to have that responsibility of after every doctor's appointment. And obviously you both know when you're first diagnosed, there are a lot of them. And, you know, after surgery and after, you know, everything, I just didn't want it always to fall into them to have to report out and, you know, messages to get changed in translation and all that. So I just said, you know, this is something I'll, I'll take control of because my family was doing so much to help me cope. And I said, you know, I can actually do this. I can at least give the message of what's happening. 
So I had sent an email out just telling people I was diagnosed and right after. And the next morning when I woke up, I had a lot of trouble sleeping when I was first diagnosed. So I would be up at like three in the morning and I had you know, a one-year-old and a four-year-old and a husband who was always obviously pretty um, stressed out. And so I was like, what do you do at three in the morning? So I, the next morning, said, God, I've actually felt good to write that email. So I wrote, I said, I'm going to start another email. It's like, oh, people probably don't want these emails. Like, I'll put it somewhere else where they can go to it if they want to go to it, but they don't have to. And I thought, oh, isn't that what a blog is? And so I just Googled start a blog, and there it was, and I started a blog. <laughs> That's a great story. I had a similar similar reaction in but for the first six months, my blog was completely private. It was private, and it was here's a link that so I could control who could get the information, take some of the pressure off me, and everything was coming through my wife. So she'd be on the phone talking to people or emailing people. So it was just it was easier. And then I decided to make it more public. Um, but I want to jump over to Abby. So you don't have that benefit because you can't just create art and say here, here's 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 my <laughs> diagnosis. Can't you interpret that? But uh, did you use your art at all to as a sort of a communications tool, or did you find out some other way, some other creative way to get the message across without having to have conversations? Or yeah, I mean, actually, your story of how to start a blog is exactly what happened to me. I did the exact same thing. I have a blog as well that was originally set up so that I could share with my friends and family, yeah. so that they knew what was going on as well. Mostly because I found it very difficult to have conversations with my family or my friends because I am usually, I find myself caring more about how they feel and when you have to deliver that news of, yeah, I have this serious disease, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle like watching their face be upset. And so writing it down and being able to just sort of send it out to them kept that reaction separate from me, which was really helpful. But I also, right around, I guess, I was diagnosed in June, right around in April, the following April, I was, um, I was bald, very bald from all the chemo, and I decided to do a self-portrait. And I hadn't done any artwork up until that point because it was almost like too sacred. I didn't want to like taint something that I liked so much that I cared about so much with this cancer, you know, with this right. crappy thing that was going on. But I also sort of was thinking about like, you know, legacy and things that you leave behind and not knowing what my future was going to look like. I thought, you know, it would be really nice to have a picture of myself right now in this moment that I'd did myself. You know, I had these more, almost like morbid thoughts of like having that picture up during my funeral or something like that. Um, and knowing how meaningful that would be to other people. But also it was meaningful for me to do as well. Mm. So I do have, um, it was the only self-portrait that I've done in probably, you know, 10, 15 years or 10 years at least since college since undergrad. Do you go back and look at it? Yeah, I have it. Um, well, honestly, the only reason why I've gone back and looked at it is because I've been doing things with Dana-Farber. <laughs> <laughs> so like I did a workshop for the Young Adult Conference this past year mm -hmm. and it was, and I showed it then and I, have sh I shared it last year for the conference and 
I don't think about it otherwise. But when I do bring it out, I'm like, oh yeah, it's very interesting to bring it out year after year, just seeing it once a year, yeah. and sort of seeing what I was able to capture of myself in that moment, mm. and not really thinking about it at the time. But right. so, uh, both of you are sort of, particularly with the blogs, talking about something that that I sort of discovered through lots of good conversations with a therapist, which is that it's. That's how I process information, is through the writing. Mm -hmm. It's not through the talking about it. I mean, I guess I could talk about it, but I'm a guy and I don't want to talk about feelings and all that crap. So, so you know, it's much easier to, to, to do it um, by writing. And I, the idea of the self-portrait is really interesting because I, I'm not blogging as much as I used to. I don't think I've posted in three months. But when I look back occasionally at some of the stuff, it helps me see where I was. So not in a visual way, that, that, I mean, you can, but you can look at your portrait and kind of get a sense of who you were at that moment. And I do the mm -hmm. same thing with the blog. I don't know, Tara, have you, have you gone back to read some of your early posts? Because you, you were writing a lot. You yeah. were very prolific. Yeah. Well, I went back to the blogs uh, when I started, when I decided to turn it into a book. So I definitely went back to them. Um, and I loved what you said, Abby. It's it, about kind of your legacy and I, mm -hmm. I felt like my blog started to evolve into just that that mm -hmm. you know there was this amazing mix of I'm doing this just for me I don't care what anyone else thinks this is what I need to do to cope mm -hmm. deal with it and then this totally other thing which was like this has nothing to do with me this has to do with helping you know my family like I said you know figure out what's going on and this, you know this is something I want there are things I want my kids to know that if I wasn't here, I want them to know them, you mm -hmm. know, and it was this chance to do that. So I loved what you said because I, that so resonates with me and it is in it. And people are like, God, that's so, that's so like pessimistic. I was like, no, it, it wasn't past, like it, it wasn't done with tears in my eyes. Like it was done with like an amazing, like I have this way to do this, you know? And, I wouldn't have you told me I would have been, you know, writing a book that my kids might, you know, I'd be like, that's sick and sad and weird. And, but it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't like that. Um, so yeah, I have, I have gone back and it is, um, it's weird. It's weird to go back sometimes. It thrusts you back into a world that, you know, I think sometimes I've been blessed enough to leave, you know, but it's really good to know that there are other people who are just at the beginning of that and that maybe I can still help them and I want to be able to do that, so. Yeah. It's interesting, I do find that I go back, sometimes I'm like, it reminds me how to deal with it sometimes mm -hmm. because I think sometimes I get away from the moment of, of, where, I, of where I was, whether it was you know, going through treatment or, or um, worrying about a scan and sort of says, oh, that, all right, that's a good, healthy way of thinking about it versus the way I'm thinking about it now at 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm up at night or what have you. But, Abby, you were talking about sort of not invading the sacred space and you didn't want the cancer to take over. And it's sort of what we were talking about earlier about mm -hmm. not wanting cancer to take over your identity. It's an interesting idea for me because I found that through my cancer and through the blogging about cancer, I almost found my voice but I do struggle with the notion of you as the cancer artist versus you as the artist. Yeah. And how you keep those separate. 
Well, to, to be quite honest, being a teacher means that I don't do nearly as much art as I would like to. Right. You know, I've done maybe three paintings in the past two years, and that's an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> but even those three paintings, like two of them kind of relate to cancer. And again, not really consciously, but I've looked at them later and been like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess that's what was on my mind at the time. But yeah, there's, I don't want to have everything that you do or everything I do, any creative output be about having cancer. Like you said, that, that identity is not something that I want to be completely all about me anymore. Clearly there's more parts to you than just this one part. But it is hard to to not have it be a part of the things that you create because there it does, you know, influence you in such a deep way and creating art is such a at least for me it can be a very deep process. So it's going to come out at some point. Have you had any reactions to, to your writing or to your art that caught you by surprise? I can think of a couple things. Um, when I actually posted my self-portrait on Facebook like right after I did it. And it was the first time that I had sort of publicly acknowledged that this was this much of an impact on my life. I had sort of put something on there like, hey, this is something I'm going through. but. It was the first picture, really, of me. I didn't really, wasn't in pictures, being bald or anything. And part of that, you know, it was kind of nice to have that control, to be like, okay, here's my image of me that I did, and there it's going up there, and it's putting it out there in the world. But one of my aunts, she goes, the, the portrait is missing your characteristic smile. She's like, it's not, it doesn't, it almost like it doesn't look like you because you're not smiling. And I didn't think of it that way when I was drawing it because it's easier to draw a portrait of yourself when you just have a neutral expression <laughs> than try to hold a smile and draw it while you're looking at a picture of yourself or looking at a mirror. But it is kind of true that I look back at it now and I have sort of a, an expression on my face that is not characteristic of me, especially in social situations. So that kind of surprised me. I guess that they were that she was seeing something in my portrait that I hadn't seen myself. Yeah, I think that goes almost goes back to your comment earlier about you know people not wanting to talk to people about it because of how they might react, and mm -hmm. everyone's going to react differently. You know, I find people bring their own fears, their own anxieties, their own experiences into every reaction. So. Uh, and, and it's probably the same for, for how they read a blog or how they, how they view a painting or how they view uh, any, any piece of art. Just as you, you can't separate yourself from what you're creating, people can't self separate themselves from what they're receiving. Mm -hmm. Now, for you, Tara, you were pretty open from, mm -hmm. from day one, so, and you have a pretty big network of, of people, and I know you have a lot of people who walk with you. Yeah. <laughs> so in that vast network of, of people reacting, did you have any, any surprises that stood out? Yeah, I think probably the thing that stood out, or that surprised me on the positive end, was just that it 
meant anything to anyone, <laughs> you know? They, I mean, truly, I know that sounds, I'm not saying that to sound humble or anything. It's like, it was just so factual to me. Like, this right. is how I feel and this is what I'm thinking. And it seems so simple, like nothing earth shattering at all. I mean, to me, it felt like my earth was shattered, but it, you know, it was like, person gets cancer, a person deals with cancer, like it wasn't. And just there would be little things I would say and people would write to me and people I didn't even know and say how much that meant to them. Yeah. And that was so awesome, like that that could, that me just doing what I felt compelled to do in a way for very selfish reasons could somehow have that impact on someone. So that was great. And then I don't know, I guess one thing that came to mind when you asked the question was, it actually surprised me how a few people who I'm very, very close to didn't read it. Didn't read it. Um, Intentionally didn't read it. Yeah, so I know he won't listen to this, so I'll say it's my father. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, oh yeah, he intentionally didn't read it. And he's, he's dyslexic, so I give him that. He's dealt with this in a totally different way which is really kind of supporting my mother as she faced it head on with me. And I don't fault him for that, but I do, you know, I do still kind of think it's, you know, it's just still strange to me. So I think it's a very different coping mechanism that he has that I have really come to not judge or really, really, really try to not judge. And I think I'm almost there. Um, because that's his way and just because it's not my way that that's okay yeah. you know so it was that it was the whole kind of avoidance of it that I think surprised me yeah I don't know if my mom's read it my blog really yeah my, but my dad so my dad comes at it he's you know he's subscribed to the New Yorker for I don't know 60 years yeah. so he's he's a reader yeah. And he loves reading, and so we've talked about writing, and as I as I've written, but the conversations were, were more awkward. So the writing was much more helpful. The more I could be expressive and talk about what was on my mind, the less people had to ask that. You know, so how are you? With the you know big emphasis on the R, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's like we're going to get into that topic later in a in a future podcast when we talk about stupid things people say because that will that will be a long podcast. We're going to take submissions on that one. Yeah. Yes. We could just <laughs> write one down and send them in. <laughs> we may do that. So this is probably more for you Abby. Did you find uh, having art as an outlet did you find it as a, helpful for you as a, as a coping tool? at all or was that more reserved for the blog? Uh, I, I think the blog was actually more helpful and you know I've, I've actually thought about this a lot because I think everyone expected me to create art mm -hmm. and people have been surprised that I haven't done as much or that I didn't do any during sort of my heaviest treatment times but I did do a lot of writing and part of it, I think, is that writing was not my, my uh, medium of choice beforehand. So the pressure was off. And I didn't have, I didn't have any expectations. You know, I've never been a writer. Actually, my brother is the writer in our family. So 
you know, I've done writing in the past. I did a creative writing class in high school and things like that, but that was never part of my identity. And now it, it is more because I was able to sort of veer off into that realm. But the visual arts has been a part of me forever since before I can rem you know remember. My parents would say that that's something I've been doing since I was a little kid. Yeah. And I went to college. You know, I majored in studio art, and now I'm an art teacher. So it was almost like the expectation that I would do something really great and it would be so powerful was too overwhelming to actually accomplish anything. And I also am a, a like horribly hard on myself and have very high expectations of what I can accomplish. So anything, anytime I sit down to start doing any visual art, I'm already second guessing myself <laughs> and like, okay, is this going to be good today? Am, am I going to, you know, get something good? Am I going to find something here? And I didn't have the mental ability to do that when, you know, you're going through treatment you don't have any extra mental space at all. Right. So the creative part of my brain, I think, just shut off, or at least went more towards writing and just writing what I was thinking instead of trying to think about how that would come together in something right. more visual. I don't know if it was I put the pressure on myself to make something creative or if I felt it from other people or, or what, but it was... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really find it as an outlet. It was more stressful in a way. <laughs> I find that on the blog too. I'll I'll have a blog post ready and I'll just read it and just like I was like, no, it's just not good enough. Sometimes I had to fight through that and just I just have to get this out. I don't care if it's good or good enough or bad enough and you know, knowing that I have writing friends and, and uh, uh you know, people was it's a little was a little bit daunting. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I just had to overcome that. So I just had to get it out. And, and sometimes just writing it, even if I didn't publish it, you know, I have an Evernote uh, notebook full of uh, half-started blog posts or finished blog posts that are never going to see the light of day. And I go back and I read that and I say, yeah, it's not, it's not bad now, but it's totally irrelevant now because it's talking about, like, you know, my third round of chemo, which is, you know, years in the past. So you, Tara, you didn't have necessarily that pressure going in, but as you started having more and more people reading it mm -hmm. and more and more people commenting on it, did you start self-censoring yourself and self-editing and going back and sort of, or, or were you able to just write and get it out? Uh, no, I definitely started to feel some pressure, but I could, I could kind of logic myself out of that pressure, you know, in that, like, this is my thing. I'm okay. It's okay. You know, I could, I could kind of get myself there. But I, I definitely felt the more people read it, the more I felt scared of hurting someone in it somehow. And especially because so much of the things that you deal with, you know, going through cancer has to do with the relationships you have with other people, whether it's a doctor, a nurse, or a sibling, or a parent. And so while I, most of my unpublished blog drafts have to do with, with something that I think would have hurt someone if I had published it. I still wrote it. I never finalized it and made it publishable, which I still think did it a disservice. 
and be a disservice because I think that idea of putting it out there forces you to really hone it and, mm. and I like that. But I did worry and I still do. So I wanted to ask you guys if there are other cancer survivors who are listening, and we hope they are, what advice would you give them about using creative expression as a way to cope with all of this? Honestly, I think I would just say don't force it because that's how I felt, you know, that I wanted to do something but I didn't really know what to do and felt like I had to do something visual but then that what didn't feel right to me um, but just sort of go with what feels right you know like you're already dealing with this hugely crazy thing that's going on in your life don't put extra stress on you if you're if you're already an artist or a writer or a musician um, just do what feels right to you and and if if you're interested in trying a different medium then try it why not you know but um, and maybe it will help but maybe it won't it's not you know doing things creatively or any visual arts or writing or anything may not be for everybody and if that doesn't work for you then that's fine too but, yeah I think that's great advice not to put any not to put any added burden on you for, for, for whatever you choose to do to actually have to do something it just does what it does and, yeah. and it works or it doesn't work or it works in ways that you may not even know it's working how about you Tara oh, I, I love that and that was kind of very similar to what I was thinking but I think another one I had in my head was to not base your kind of idea of how meaningful what you've produced is off of other people's reactions that you know this is it's yours and if nobody else agrees or feels the way you feel then they don't it's still the way you feel you know and and to kind of still feel that there's value in that because because there will be someone that feels the way you feel even if you don't think that that's kind of what I learned is you know I think one of the biggest things was when I was done with treatment I was I floored by how hard I thought it was when I was done and all these thoughts of well it shouldn't be hard it should be celebratory everything should be great everyone's telling me it's great and then when I started writing like okay you all feel that way but this is how I feel I feel like this is the hardest time right now and I expected everyone to just not get it and that was fine and then instead it was like everyone writing no that's exactly how I feel and I'm like wow like that's awesome so I feel like there's that free yourself of that and and free yourself of like caveats like you were saying I, and I do this all the time when I blog I have so many caveats like I'm always like it's just me it's just me don't don't worry. I'm not saying it's everyone and I often go back and edit those out because first of all it disrupts the writing and it's like I just want to have like a one huge like statement at the top you know and, and just to feel like, yeah, like, don't worry about those. Like, it's okay, you know. You, you can leave that out, and we all know that you, <laughs> you aren't trying to hurt anybody. You're just being honest. Right. So, and so, that honesty is really what makes the art, whatever you're creating, so precious, I think. That's awesome. I, I, I couldn't agree with you guys more. I just want to say thanks both, to both of you for coming in, for talking. This has been great. This is... Episode 3 of Beyond Cancer, which is a podcast from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute about the physical and emotional challenges that patients face after a diagnosis. 
To hear more episodes of Beyond Cancer and to learn about other podcasts from Dana-Farber, you can visit www.danafarber.org podcasts. You can also download this via iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn. And if you like this podcast, you might also like our Cancer Conversations podcast. You can find that as well at danafarber.org slash podcasts. I'm Michael Buller. Thanks for listening. <laughs>